This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen with your own motherfucking discretion. (laughs) (laughs) Get your kids. This is Grief After Dark. Hi, Dee. Hey, Mickey. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grief After Dark. We are here in season three. Yeah. Episode three. Episode three. Double digit. Oh Oh my gosh. It's been a it's been a long year already. Uh it's January the twenty-third. Twenty third as we record, yes. And happy lunar new year. And uh you know, shit's wild, y'all. Like I can't I, I was sitting here, you know how I've been putting off um my my goals for the year my personal goals for the year yep i was ruminating about them today and i'm like shit this year is gone man (laughs) (laughs) just skip it listen 2024 is going to be there for your goals (laughs) i'm like this year is definite i don't have any time to do all of this shit (laughs) i think we need more realistic goals exactly (laughs) Exactly. Welcome to Grief After Dark. I'm <laughs> yeah. me, Lindsay, and I have unrealistic goals. Okay? Or maybe spread them out. You know, maybe it's a five-year plan. Except maybe the goal is to reconsider goals at the beginning of next year. Please. What else please. do you need? I'm just, I'm going to reconsider now. And then, you know, shit, I pop out and I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, shit, maybe I'm not going to do any of this shit this, this year at all. <laughs> We're less than a minute in, and I full feel like we're already full of of such wise advice <laughs> for the masses. You're welcome. That's it for today, yeah. y'all. Thank you, and you're welcome. Good night. And Thank you for coming. Great talking, guys. Yeah. Good talk. See ya. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we have a special guest today. Yes, voice number three on the line today is a friend of mine, and actually. Another friend that you have something very special in common with, D, because I know Lindsay from Yarn Camp. Yeah. And Lindsay is like knitter extraordinaire. I think technically I met you when you lived here in my town. Yes. And you, yeah, like the sweater queen. And I'd roll up into knitting like I was still a pretty novice knitter and I've got my hat. And Lindsay is like working on this incredible sweater that's like intricate. And she's like modified the pattern so that it fits in all the right spots. And Dee is very much like, I'm like, where's your pattern? And she's like, oh, no, I'm just doing it on the fly. And then she ends up with this perfect sweater. I don't understand. Yeah. 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 That's, I'm doing one right now that's um, just from a, you know, it was one for sale online. And I was like, I like yeah. that. And then you got to fix it because, you know, they don't, yeah. doing, you know, they just yep. slapping shit together out here in the streets. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Different shapes, you know? It has a hood though. And I've probably remade it three times. I think I'm on my fourth attempt because it's, it's yeah. a bit tricky. Hoods are crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I love a good hood though. I make, I love to make baby sweaters like so whatever i'm gonna make i'm gonna make it in a baby version so that i get that bang for my buck right away yeah and then i can see what it looks like that's really smart some sweet little baby gets a cute little hoodie yeah that's really (laughs) smart i uh yeah i have lots of small nieces and nephews and stuff so i should do that yeah yeah yeah. Test knits are great. Like I love knitting baby stuff. I don't think people really give enough credit to this whole knitting thing, but like, it's good for your brain. It's good mm-hmm. for your, you know, it's really good for your brain, but also like I want immediate gratification and I know that I can make a baby sweater in two days. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, not even two days straight. It's like four or five hours here, three or four hours there. And then we're here we go. We yeah. have some really cute and then this baby gives all this love that you put in there yeah. it's a meditation you know it's so yeah. kid stuff is so fun for that reason and then they hit an age and you're like this is kind of like an adult sweater almost right yeah. you used to grown for me to be making you a sweater i might as well do it for myself Make your own yeah sweater. you're like we're gonna be on a three-year you know once every three years <laughs> yeah you'll get a new yes. sweater well and man they just start growing super mm. fast 
Like I make a seven-year-old sweater for a five-year-old and then pray that it actually lasts a little bit. Yeah. I have one of my nieces grows. She's super tall. And it's like everything I make. It's the sleeves are too short. Almost. To me. I mean, I make them long and it's like, girl. <laughs> right. They stretch out. Just why are you not looking? Yeah. Well, and yeah. knitting is one of the things like I we've talked so much about grief in art and like art is an expression mm. of grief and knitting for me is a good go-to because I have to be moderately single-minded in order to mm-hmm. do it. It's also kind of a good like red flag warning for me. If I am too exhausted at the end of the day to knit on a really regular basis, I need to fucking step way back from my life because I'm in like code red burnout. But I have pieces that I kept where like, I remember what I remember where I was in my life when I made the thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's got, there's, I think there's value. What's that movie? Is it like water for chocolate where she's knitting that blanket? forever and then then it's like this long (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i saw that movie i don't think i did either let me back check check myself but i definitely (laughs) like all you know i mean i've got years of decade of over a decade of sweaters and oh yeah i remember where i was where i was working what Mm -hmm. was going on in life yep like which bar you were knitting in yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. That part, <laughs> guys. We like I knit anywhere. I will knit anywhere. Oh literally. yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is like much like you, Makita. Is kind of one of the things that really can I can focus on, mm-hmm. and like it's a meditation, and it's more. It's like a, oh, I need to challenge myself, so I'll switch up the pattern, or I'll decide that I want this hood with that sweater pattern, or I've got to change the numbers. There's something really, really, you know, you know me. Yep. And, well, let me go knit a sweater real quick. Oh <laughs> let, me, let me pick this sweater pattern out of my brain somewhere and create this thing. And then I'll be frustrated or, you know, or I'll go through the motions with it. And it has helped my grief a lot, really, to focus in on something that is really kind of second nature to me. Mm-hmm. And Mickey actually retaught me how to knit. So I learned how oh, to knit cool. with my aunt when I was eight. But I, it was in a visit to California. And so I stayed the whole summer and my aunt taught me how to knit and crochet. And when I went back home, my mom's left-handed, so she couldn't uh, help me. And she's not a knitter. Or I was going to say, does your mom knit? No, <laughs> she is More important knit. than that left hand, I think. <laughs> right. More importantly, do does she actually know how to do it? No, she doesn't know how to do it. But that's kind of like, I think one of her, uh, one of her griefs is that like, this is a skill that came from her mom and that she never got because she was young and, you know, whole long story, but, uh, I got it from my auntie and then I didn't do it for a long time. And when I met Mickey, like, and they came over and we were hanging out and I was like, you need to teach me how to do this again. <laughs> so, but turns out it was like riding a bike, yeah. you know, your body kind of remembers. Oh yeah. That muscle memory. I, yep. I still have that first scarf you made me, Mickey. Um, the red one, the long, first now wasn't it um that weird velvet shit that doesn't stretch at all yeah it, it's it's i'll wear it next time i come see you okay <laughs> like it's good it's a good one it, anyway. it withheld the test of time that's exciting yeah i mean you know i love my things i so. know you love your things. and when Actually, people made these first pregnancy i made her baby a baby blanket Aww. and i had to tell her like you let that baby use that blanket. And she's like, but it's so nice. It's gonna, they're gonna throw up on it. And I'm like, you let that baby use the blanket. And she <laughs> got it out of a closet that she had been storing it Aww. in. Yep. All her kids have my yeah. An heirloom. <laughs> yeah. I feel, you know, my sister, I, especially with their first, I think was the same way where I don't know that she, I think it was kind of treated as this special thing or when I make them sweaters and it's like, wear it. They need Please. to wear it. Oh yeah. I but want like, holes in that next time. I Yeah. See. The great thing with an heirloom is to me, it's really an heirloom when it's a you something that was loved and then passed on, but like just sitting in a closet, it's, you know, yeah, it doesn't have that history yet. Yep. Listen, I've turned over a new leaf, okay? You did. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. 
So proud. Other y'all, children. y'all, this is this is a knitting podcast now. So. Yes, this is a knitting podcast. I don't know. <laughs> knitting after dark or grief after knitting? Oh, knitting oh, after grief dark. during. Yes, oh, grief during. Grief and during after, knitting during grief. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Grief knitting. Grief <laughs> With knitting. With Lily and Dee. I think it's so important, though, that you were talking about how art, you know, kind of helps with grief. As you know, this is my thing. These mundane things that are the medicine to me mm-hmm. and how we really can move through things with the tools that we already have or like picking up something that's so arbitrary as knitting. You know, I don't think knitting is going anywhere. Folks love to talk about how it's a lost art. It's not. I know so many knitters. And it's had resurgences, you know, it kind of comes and goes. And but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like everything this yeah. year, milk bad for you last year was the greatest thing. Right. Since, uh-huh. It's fine. So I was diagnosed with lupus. Mm-hmm. 11 years ago this is what we're um, actually here to talk about. yeah yeah this is what we're actually here to talk about <laughs> and uh so i started knitting in 2008 um in 2012 in march i was diagnosed with lupus and then went through this huge depression because it was the the grief aspect of that was really grieving my past life because my body wasn't capable of what it used to be and so like who i was changed or how I was able to live, I should say. Anyway, I went through a major depression, and but I always had my knitting. So it's like, I might be at home by myself, you know, and it's still this feeling of accomplishment. It's keeping your mind busy. You know, even if I was laid up in bed all day, I could still usually sit and have my knitting. Sure. Have something to do and keep my mind busy. And Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, also in Durango, we had that great, social group of knitters so it's also helped maintain that kind of social connection too which was so helpful absolutely yeah and that is a group i mean that's that's where i live now where lindsay lived before and where we first met and this group like part of the beauty of this group of women knitters is i could absolutely any day of the week show up however i was and if i was tired or if I wanted to talk, if I didn't want to talk, if I wanted to have a glass of wine with them, if I didn't, like, it, it was always fine. And yeah, that that sense of community when you're in tough times means a lot, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really unique, I would even say it's more of a community. I mean, it's been years and there's people who've come and gone, but um, oh, yeah. I've never experienced anything like that anywhere else. Nope. I kind of crave it in, here in Denver, but. That's hard to build. I mean, you're nailing it. It's like we are looking for community and like going away from your community of people is like super tough. And then having to rebuild that, man, I could talk about that all day. Mm -hmm. But um, how with you dealing with your lupus other than like being able to have your thing. So sickness in and of itself, it takes away a lot. Mm-hmm. And like those who are able-bodied, those who have never experienced really a lot of sickness, they don't really get in on that fact of like, it's not just, Oh, I'm sick. It's I'm sick. And I'll, all of my whole livelihood has changed, mm-hmm. you know, like how have you rebuilt your life? What would you say to somebody else? Yeah. Um, for me, the it was kind of in phases. So initially, you know, I had kidney disease when I was first diagnosed and had to go through this crazy treatment where I was on really high dose prednisone for like a year, <sighs> which makes you a crazy person. Like not, I was totally not myself. Can I ask how old you were when you were diagnosed? 29, 28, 28, which is like the common, that's the typical age. Okay. So, you know, I feel like initially it was just a lot of like just crying and grieving and sadness at what I was losing. And because of how I guess frazzled and how the prednisone affected me, I, I don't know that I was really able to start productively dealing with it until that phase. It was just like survive, just survive for like a year. And then uh, I had a really great therapist. I had some really great friends. 
So there were a few years of just really focus on like self-care, you know, and that was like getting massages, getting acupuncture, uh, I was going to therapy and I kind of, I was very open to trying new things. A friend of mine who was really into alternative kind of therapy stuff, like we'd go to these crazy dance things where you're just mm-hmm. dancing all goofy and, <laughs> uh, you know, but just kind of getting all that emotion out or what was there? There's another thing where we did this, like walking on glass, you know, you're like glass walking or coal, walking on coals thing, you know, like all different kinds of just challenging myself, knowing myself better. And part of that process, I learned, I really just needed to let myself be really sad. And like, instead of, cause I'd been raised with, you know, tough it out right, or walk it off. Hmm. And it was just took a lot to learn to like, listen to what you need and let yourself feel all of this grief, anger, loss, heartache, you know, whatever. And I kind of just spent a long time like doing that. And it's like, I'm really sad and just going to the heart of it and just like, just going to feel it. And it doesn't feel good, but if I don't, it's not going to go away. Then the next phase I would say was probably, I was mostly healthy. Like I would have a little kind of flares occasionally. I'd be tired. And, and I should say before lupus, I was super active, like w- ran every day, hiked, biked, just super, super active. And with lupus, I'm, I have to be careful about getting too much sun. And it also makes you fatigued. So I wasn't able to be as active. So I just really, again, knitting helped because it's not a very active hobby. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but just, you know, started finding things that I enjoyed doing that fit my new physical capabilities and kind of lived in that zone for a while. And then I would say maybe five to seven years in, I'd been feeling good for a while. And I started to kind of think like, you know, I think I can do some of these things I've told myself or thought I couldn't do. So just slowly kind of trying it out. And it's like, oh, that's okay. I can, you know, work out again without issue and started running again. And probably about, I don't know, seven or eight years into the whole journey, like really felt like myself again, you know, in ways I didn't think I maybe ever would. Mm. Yeah. What was your question? Uh, I think you answered it. I have another question. Do you feel, I mean, there's a lot to process with a, with a diagnosis like that. Like yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot, you have to learn about the disease itself mm-hmm. and then it does affect your community because there are people who will and won't understand Oh, totally. what your limitations are now. And then also you having to cope with a new set of of limitations and what you can and can't do. Yeah. I would imagine all of that kind of compiled to cause depression. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of the depression too was just like this deep sense of betrayal. You know, here you're it was 28, peak of your life. Career-wise, I was I would call myself a late bloomer. I didn't really hadn't, and maybe relationship wise too. And I hadn't really figured out what I wanted to do. And I just started dating this guy. I was super into, and that all fell apart kind of all at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so it just felt like I lost some years, you know, that just, they're just gone. Like I kind of, in my mind, I'm like four years younger than I am. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those years just don't count. Sure. Um, but I, yeah, I think the hardest part was just like betrayal by my own body, you know, and whatever expectations I had or it's like, oh, you can't do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. It was really difficult. But yeah, there's a really good, um, uh, what's it called? The Spoon Theory? There's a lady with lupus who wrote it. You sent that. I to sent me. that to you. Yeah. Yeah. It was brilliant. And it's a lot of people with autoimmune diseases, you look fine. And so there's definitely people in your life who just don't, they just don't get it. Like, why do you need to stay home? Why do you need to leave early? Why do you, you know, it, cause you do look okay. 
Well, that's a lot of grief and mental health as well. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to carry yes. because it's not like you don't carry the scars and wounds outside where people can see. Yeah. I only yeah. feel like I'm missing all four of my limbs right now. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, like trying to explain to other people what's going on in your body has to be one of the hardest things that, you know, if they've not had any experience with chronic illness or just anything like deafness, mm-hmm. things you, that you you can't necessarily see. So narcolepsy, it's like, oh, you're not yeah. tired oh I see you doing a lot of things and oh you know they make these assumptions and like start filling in the blanks for you is which Mm -hmm. is basically is a projection of their idea of what you're experiencing yeah and so it's so difficult and I always it, it always leads back to the person experiencing the thing is the person that carries the heaviest fucking load because It's your job to explain to somebody else what the fuck you're going through, explain to somebody else how painful this is, explain to somebody what what you've lost and like never really receiving that care of like, hey, I'm just here right now. I'm here with you, whatever you're experiencing right now, like whatever I think about it doesn't even fucking matter because I have no clue you know, and I'm just here. I'm just here to help you. I'm here to like take you to the grocery store. If you need to go to the grocery store, I'm here to like make you a sandwich. If you need one, what's happening instead of like this projection of, well, you're, you know, the list of your knots and you should. And I think what people don't realize too, who kind of see that is that they don't see what you're, what it's taking for you to show up when you do show up. Right. And like what you're, sacrificing or compromising or struggling to do just to be there Mm -hmm. and you know it's like me showing up and being sociable and and normal uh, or whatever right now like that's a lot for me I had to put a lot into this and I want to emphasize that the a lot is mental yeah the a lot both physical too I mean yeah both physical and mental but what I find most of the time with folks who say that is that it's the mental strain it's the mental exhaustion mm-hmm. it's the uh, that part of it in in like to showing up and to doing and to being present and to like you know fucking pretend like I'm okay and I'm here mm-hmm. yeah and and like struggling through every moment of doing whatever you're doing even if it's a happy thing to do you know, even if it is something that brings joy. And I think that's like the double-edged sword of healing in general is because people, well, you're doing things that make you happy. What the? F- yeah. Yeah. But there's a part of it that, you know, it's like, it might make me happy, but it might also remind me of what it would have been like before. Right. You know, and that's, that's hard because that's bringing up memories and how it could have been. And I mean, right. it's difficult. And, and folks, a lot of times want to tell you that you shouldn't think about that. But how do you not fucking think about yeah, that? Yeah, it's part of you. How do you think you'd be handling what I'm going through right now? Well, they don't think. <laughs> hey, there it is. <laughs> they don't think. Yeah, they don't think. It's it's easier to not have to relate that deeply to something like that. Yeah. Like, I hear, I mean, we all hear over and over again, less with death more with like sickness accidents um the loss of a job people will like at least you like well uh, Mm. you know it's at least it's not you know well it could have been worse this is better than and it so negates yes how bad it sucks to have and like nobody wants to sit in their own pile of shit. Like, I don't want to stay here and feel crappy. And now you just made me feel bad because I can't get up out of this pile of shit. So cool. (laughs) Shit on top of my shit. Yeah. There were a couple things that people would do that I just, or still, I mean, and that is one of them. Well, at least it's not cancer. At least it was early. And it's like, okay, so by your logic, only the person who's having the shittiest life out of the 8 billion of us on the planet 
is allowed to be upset. Right. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You nailed it right there because like only certain people are entitled or 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 allowed the room to feel anything. Yeah. And so but you but the price is you have to be in the worst fucking circumstances ever mm-hmm. in order to be like, and I, and I'm like, mm, y'all really realize this is the worst shit that could happen to me right now. Yeah. And it's upsetting. And it's, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that I posted something the other day about like acknowledgement being a place where we can release things rather mm-hmm. Like avoiding is exacerbation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is where a lot of people, you know, kind of go astray and they don't come out of their grief or whatever. And we've seen this happen societally every time. We always wonder why are they so sad still? Well, but society's telling them that they're not be allowed to be sad because on mm-hmm. some sort of fucking fucked up scale, you don't rate enough <laughs> to be yeah. upset and you have to forget this. And like, by golly, we haven't forgotten it. And this is still in our bodies. And like, we have these reactions, even when things aren't happening to us. So like, I, I very much feel like our brains don't know the difference between yesterday and tomorrow, which can be a spectacular place to be. But also it's a fucking curse, y'all, because when I remember what has happened to me, like my reaction is a fucking gut wrench reaction inwardly, inwardly. I might look fine on the outside, but like, ooh, my insides are fucking raging and I know what it's doing to my body. So even though I know what it's doing to my body, it doesn't stop the reaction from happening. Well, because your brain doesn't know that it's not happening right now. Your brain, that chemical response in your body, your brain can't differentiate that that's something that already happened and you're not in danger. You you live it all over again. Yeah. And that is kind of, um, well, so two things. First, I would be thinking what I thought of. Um, this ties back in with what I was saying about learning how to feel the grief. And people patronizingly saying, you know, it's not as bad as the worst person. You should be, you know, buck up. You're fine you're just stuffing all of that down. And it's like, in order to process it, you have to feel it. Like you have to go through that. So that all tied into that, just learning how to like cry as much as you need, go to the heart of the pain and feel it. But to your point about the reaction, you know, you think about it and it brings up all those physical reactions and your insights. Um, I definitely have struggled a lot with like, PTSD from some of this where I do it's that physical out of my control reaction that is like it's physically happening Mm -hmm. again all over yep and that's been you know another long process with therapy has been dealing with anxiety and PTSD from the lupus I don't know that there was any particular traumatic experience but I was mauled by a dog when I was younger and almost killed that caused PTSD. So like similar anxiety feelings can bring up that. That's in your body though. Mm -hmm. That's with you. Yeah. And I bet it it took a long time for you to even want to look at a dog. Any dog. Certain breeds. I still have a really hard time. This is exactly, this is what I'm saying. We cannot decide for somebody else that they should be done with this Mm -hmm. because it didn't happen. And like, if I'm, it, putting that expectation on someone is is dangerous and it, it's dismissive mm-hmm. and it's not empathetic it, it is like I'm tired of what you're going through so you need to stop this for me mm-hmm. and as a parent like you know with children we do this all the time stop all that crying because it's you making my nerves bad. And I have to really watch myself. I mean, I still do that because I want to give them perspective of like, listen, you can kind of build your resilience here and you don't actually have to cry about this, but I get to my limit to where I'm like, if you don't like, could you please close your mouth right now? Because I'm about to lose my shit. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the most active examples that I could 
say of, of how it starts in like just benign interactions with each other is deciding because I'm tired of what you're going through. You need to change and you need to stop this. Yeah. Dismissive. I mean, and, and it could be true. Shit. It could be true. They could need to be stopping all the damn crying. <laughs> but yeah. But also like, I can't stop thinking that the people who like, at least you like people who are like, Oh, you know, it could have been. Mm-hmm. are also the same people who will spend 40 fucking minutes complaining at me about their car yeah, you know, or their nails, you know, or like just some, um, their boss. Right. Yeah. That's just like, I still have these, these icky feelings and I can, I can conjure some faces in my head right now where like, <laughs> so you just blew off this thing that like, I don't know what to do with. And, but let's talk about your boss. Okay. That's cool. Do you think it's because people are either uncomfortable with it? Yes. Or like maybe it scares them a little? Yes. Oh, definitely. I know. I know for a fact that I have had some of the worst parental experiences. (laughs) And Mm. I know that when people are in my presence, I can tell that my experience directly affects them in how they behave around me, Hmm. how they respond to me. And I'm not a person who, who has laid down on the healing portion of this journey that I'm on. And I'm very, I'm well aware of like the impact that I have on people. And so, you know, it's never lost on me that people are, terribly afraid of going through what I've been through and therefore they try to rationalize it in their mind well that'll never happen to me Mm -hmm. that's not something that I can even process it's really wild to watch it's wild to be on the receiving end of that you know there's still a lot of shit that ain't happened to me that I have never been through but I'm certainly not going to diminish anybody's experience because I'm afraid yeah i think once a lot of people at least who've gone through something really major they see all of these things we're talking about and experience them and they in other people who have something happen that is different they still see that same intensity and the same like pattern of their having you know what cancer or whatever it is people who've had these really shitty things happen that are life-changing are more empathetic to the other experiences like that even if they're different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh i remember what you asked me what i tell other people going through come around to it don't worry um, <laughs> Yeah. And it's, you know, people in my life who I've seen go through, you know, get a cancer diagnosis or health issues, or it's just like, what do I tell them? Usually it's things like how we were talking about, you know, don't let people be condescending or patronizing. It's like, there's going to be people who just don't understand and say things that are unintentionally hurtful. You've just got to not dwell on it. and. Let yourself go through the grief, like let yourself feel it, mm-hmm. go to therapy mm-hmm. or some kind of therapy. What you said earlier, being in community, community, mm-hmm. finding those communities where folks are actually understanding and they know and they are like the spaces, you know, they've created the space for this. And mm-hmm. so, you know. And a lot of times I think that's kind of one of the secondary losses is that a lot of the people, when you go out and are in reinserting and you're going back into the community, it's more with people who understand and so many others get left out. And that is a grief too, because like you're losing what, you you know, it's part of the loss of what was, you know? And so it's almost always the people closest to us. And so like, Oh God, like there's the magnitude of the grief and, and like the layers of it and having to filter through and deal with it is, is, is yeah. wild. Well, there's that 
I think it's a poem, like a reason, a season, a lifetime about mm. friendships. And then like some friendships are in your or relationships are part of your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And it's, you know, that's a drastic season change. You're going to lose a lot of people. <laughs> right? And then you're going to have, you know, at least in my case, and I'm sure this is common. Like I had a lot of people who were integral and super helpful in getting me through that phase and taught me a lot who, you know, didn't last past that initial hard period or whatever, but, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't have done it without them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely changes all your relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of my most like lasting ones, uh, this really good friend of mine um, in Durango. And when I was really sick, I just used to go sit at her house on her couch all day and <laughs> 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 not do anything, you know, maybe help out or, you know, but we, it's just like, just being able to just be there. And I had some other friends in Durango. It was the same way. I could just go and just exist. Yep. And it's like, those were some of my most, are still some of my most cherished friends. Yeah. Just exist, y'all. Is there a place where you can go and just exist? And you know that you are loved and you know that you are safe in whatever condition you're in. Yeah. And that yeah. goes right back to the knitting community here that like, mm-hmm. that was what struck me so much was it, every Thursday, you know, there's a spot in town where we could get a drink and sit on a couch and knit and I could just show up and exist and it didn't matter. And maybe even better, maybe at the end, Helen would come up to me and be like, are you okay? You were really quiet. Like, are you, are you doing all right? Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm tired. Like it's been a long week and I am tired. She'd be like, okay, what a, what a gift. What a treasure. And the friends that I have that have like lasted the, the lifetime friends that have seen all of the things and still just let me be whatever I happen to be that day are, that's like, that keeps me alive. That's like the ultimate community. If community comes in tears they're like top of the pyramid shining the light. That's like the <laughs> yeah. beacon that that keeps I think all of us going. Absolutely. It's so hard as we get older and I'm going to be 40 in April. It's so much harder to find and build uh, to add new people that rise to that top tier. <laughs> yeah. I totally advice on how to do that. <laughs> No, because I like I'm hard to know, I think like I the pot part of the reason why this project was so terrifying to me is because I was like, it's a grief podcast. <laughs> it's going to demand raw truth and vulnerability. Yeah. But I read this beautiful quote actually a couple days ago by um, Pema Chodron. Uh, she's a Buddhist nun. And it was it was along the lines of it's about how scary revisiting because in in Tibetan Buddhism, they really encourage you, like you were saying, Lindsay, to sit in your pain, to recall painful experience so that it's not a constant source of terror for you yeah. in, in unassuming hours. And no, it's, it's not, it's never going to be okay. It is a terrifying experience, but also it's raw and truth. And that it doesn't feel like the easier way, but sitting in pain, especially if you have a community of people that will sit with you as painful as that is, it is so much less painful than trying to fucking sweep it mm-hmm. under the rug of bullshit. Well, it loses its power. Yes. Too, if you aren't hiding and running from it. If you're, if you're working with it. Comfortable with it and familiar with all the feelings it's going to give you and Well, I mean, cuz then that leaves room for other things to be there as well. This pain is not always drowning out your joy. It's not always drowning out your love. It is not always drowning out you know, any of the happy memories, they're, they run parallel, like they're there together. And when I'm encouraged by others 
to only think of the good things. And I'm like, y'all just actually don't know how my brain works. I remember everything. I remember everything. And I can't just pick out those unsavory memories and only remember these really beautiful moments. The problem here is, is that like y'all are assuming that I can do that. I don't know. I think culturally that's just something really toxic that is just so deeply ingrained that people just don't even understand how else, what other options there are, like all they've got. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful every day for this space because I think that that's the very thing that we are dismantling right now in our communities is that, listen, guys, like, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're going to be in pain sometimes. Well, and that's, that's always the draw. That's what keeps me coming back to all of these conversations is like, we have talked to people who have really, they've, they've experienced some very horrendous shit and then in turn survived it and potentially reached out to their Mm -hmm. community and helped others that are in it. And the more conversations we have, I'm like, I have this constant awareness now that number one, it, it does actually feel better to sit with your pain than try to avoid it. Number two, hopefully to just remind our 20 loyal listeners that like your, your grief is you're justified in it. Have it sit in it. Cheers. Can I pour you another, like none of us are alone in it. Yeah. My, you know, and this, it was a challenge. I calling this a challenge because it was a challenge for me when I first went through this, but my challenge for anyone, I would say, who's just struggling with, deep grief and not feeling like they're moving through it. It's it's like, just sit, you know, meditate if you want to call it that or, but like just all those thoughts that you're told to run from or hide or get over, you know, just sit and dwell on, Mm -hmm. you know, dwell on those most painful things and let yourself cry and think about them as long as you need to. As long as you need to, you'll get tired of doing it. Trust me. I'd be so sick of myself sometimes. Like, you know, I, I'm a long way off. And I think that what I would also agree with and say, say to somebody is let, let that shit be there. Let feel it. Absolutely. You do. You tell me that all the time. Legit. I'll vouch for that. (laughs) <laughs> you are a good reminder where yeah. I'm just like, I am losing my shit and all of these things are happening yeah. and I don't like it and I want out. And yeah, D is the first one to be like, yeah, you need to honor all that. Cause that is a lot. And you should just fucking sit in that. And also on that note, I'm going to send you both a link to this book that I'm reading because it's totally in alignment <laughs> with this conversation. And I love when that happens. Um, it's, <laughs> It's called, so I can give it propers, it's called The Buddhist on Death Row by David Sheff. The subtitle is How One Man Found Light in the Darkest Place. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. It it is all about a lot of the things that we talked about today. Yeah. Yeah, Because we'd be in alignment. That's why. One tool a friend gave me. So um, it's a set of tarot cards, but they're Osho Zen tarot. Yes. People have listened to okay oh i have um, that dick. At, the reason it's funny is because there was that whole wild wild country documentary about how yes i was is. gonna say is this the osho ocean it, it is. is um so well, i should put oh, i should don all of my red the, while i read um, the cards all of, you know the cards stand on their own it's no they don't have okay. nothing to do with the cult of all that craziness but <laughs> I just got to where I would use those, you know, daily and they were just great little meditations. And a lot of it was, yeah, about feeling what you need to feel and, you know, really that kind of uh, mindfulness and they were just super helpful for me. They just helped me get out of my head. They helped me have a different perspective when I felt like I was just spinning. Whenever I'm like really in, even now, like some really upset or lots of turmoil, or I just kind of anxious 
it's I still turn to them because they just they make me think about whatever's going on and from a different perspective and those were really helpful totally. for me. I'm a huge fan of folks like using whatever tools that speak to them because I find that that's when yeah. you make the most progress. Well, and also you'll do it. Yeah, you'll yeah. be you'll be inclined. So I was doing that and then a little gratitude journal every day, you know, and it's like I they worked for me and I enjoyed it and so I did it. But yeah, definitely finding it's not the same for everyone. No, it really, tools. yeah, it's not the same for everyone. Well, I think your toolbox, <laughs> the toolbox, man. We're Listen to go. season one again and build your toolbox. <laughs> try everything. Try all the things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tried. I am a computer person. I'm very <laughs> logical, and I was trying the most hippie, free flow dance, and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say if if you were going to those um ecstatic, ecstatic dance, dance and I situations, was, I committed. <laughs> I was like doing it. Good for you. Yeah, and it's and you gotta I, commit. You gotta go. You all know, in. it was great. Yeah, totally not something I normally would do. Awesome, like, but it worked. Try it all, and that brings us to our not so rapid rapid fire question segment. <laughs> Speaking of trying things. Speaking of trying new things, do you consent? I always say, like, I, I try to give people consent, but then I don't actually let them say no. Uh, I'm like, if you want to play, but here, go ahead, D. <laughs> would you like a world with, like, magic in it? And I don't mean, like, our mental magic right now. Like, magic is a word, crazy word. So I'd say, like, as fantasy would have it, Like magic. Harry Potter Avengers. Hell yeah. Yes. There you go. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Same. <laughs> you know, my knee jerk is yes, but those villains are so gnarly. But um, yeah, I want to, I want to wand real bad. That actually works. And does Dude, shit. we do grief here. That's gnarly. <laughs> I could also end up on the Ooh. villainous side. Let's be yes. honest. Listen, I'm it's in my villain. Just, my villain just as likely. Kind of I'm down with that. I could be Gryffindor or Slytherin. I'm a Gemini. I'm being a villain. Let's do it. Oh my gosh. If you could build a themed hotel, what would it be? Oh, what world would I want to go live in? I would probably pick some like old Victorian, you know, like some old British. Like I really love the old British or not old, but the British period pieces. So I'd probably pick something where you'd have mm-hmm. all the, you could have all the outfits and go really live in it except you know i want mm-hmm. modern bathrooms <laughs> and electricity yes <laughs> yeah 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 please specify indoor plumbing right i mean it's a yeah. themed hotel so you can have whatever you want i think that'd be fun Where, you know have all the guest dress and all the outfits and yeah it would be fun mm-hmm. 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 you know i'm stuck on this idea of a brothel but i think like a futuristic brothel would be cool. And like, not just a brothel that is specifically focused on sexual pleasure, but like, you know, all kinds Sensuality. of sensuality, like, you know, energetic, sensual, kinky, all kinds of, all the things. So I wouldn't touch all the fetishes. <laughs> Nikki. Magic. I feel like that's a little of a cop out. It is. I'm piggybacking on it, though, because how fun would that be if it was like um, like medieval times only with wands and spells? Come on. I, mean, I think that's kind of isn't that kind of what the Harry Potter world is or whatever? Oh. Yeah, but their wands don't work. <clears throat> it's a lie. It's Assholes. like Disneyland. It's not the happiest place. Yeah. Too many fucking people. Oh, my God. Who would play you in a movie? Oh, gosh. I have no idea. <laughs> Mickey, go first. I got to think about this. Patrick Stewart. No, I, I did that for D. Winona Ryder. That's a good one. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Ooh. Hmm. That's a tough one for me because there's so many people. 
that I could, I want to choose from like which version of me, like the younger version of me or the right now version of me. I think Kiki Palmer would be cool. Cause she's hysterical and like, she's like, she's super funny. And like, I think I'm funny. I think I'm funny. I think I'm funny. <laughs> so I think she's funny enough to be me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's Gosh, a I don't know. Somebody told me once I look like Diane Lane. So maybe my older me would be Diane Lane. Oh yeah. That's um, fast forwarding a few that years. Was Diane Lane. Years ago though. Um, Gosh, I have no idea. Kate Winslet? <laughs> sure. I can... Yes. Yeah. Nice. She's great. Yeah. She's got range, too. She does. You know they're re-releasing Titanic? Oh, Like fuck. it's 25 years or something? Are they going a full six hours this time? <laughs> Good God. I literally fell asleep in the theater. There's no room for Jack on that little thing. <laughs> That's like the Braveheart <laughs> battle scene. I saw both of those in the theater. It was like it, the same sort of movie era. And I'm like, do I have to watch the boat sink for fucking uh, two hours straight? Do I have to watch dudes chop arms and heads off for a full 40 minutes? I feel like I could have gotten yeah. the point. <laughs> I loved it. We went ago. and saw it so many times. Anyway. Good game. Good game, y'all. I so enjoy these conversations so much. And like, the more we all speak about this, I think the more normalized it will become. Mm -hmm. And and so I thank you deeply for showing up today and and sharing with us your story. Thanks for having me. I, I completely agree that it just, we need to be more open about it share these stories cheers to that cheers thank you